In Memoriam A.H.H. by Alfred Tennyson Cantos 41-45 through 45. Canto 41 opens with Tennyson's happy reflections on the four pleasant years he and Hallam spent traveling life's path together. It is a blissful recollection of a time spent glad at heart and crowned with the joy of every passing season. The path by which we twain did go, which led by tracts that pleased us well, through four sweet years arose and fell, from flower to flower, from snow to snow. And we with singing cheered the way, and, crowned with all the season lent, from April unto April went, and glad at heart from May to May. But while they blithely followed this path of hope, it began, in that fifth autumn, to slope downward undetectably to where the shadow of death was sitting in wait. Prior to this descent, he reflects, Hallam's spirit rose ever higher, like altar fire to heaven, or like anything lighter than the medium in which it is found. But where the path we walked began to slant the fifth autumnal slope, as we descended, following hope, there sat the shadow feared of man. Thy spirit, ere our fatal loss, did ever rise from high to higher, as mounts the heavenward altar fire, as flies the lighter through the gross. But now, his friend has been transfigured into something unknown, and he is no longer witness to his changes. Though he feels a fool for wishing it, he longs to leap past all life's stages and flash at once to his friend's side. But thou art turned to something strange, and I have lost the links that bound thy changes here upon the ground, no more partaker of thy change. Deep folly, yet that this could be, that I could wing my will with might to leap the grades of life and light and flash at once, my friend, to thee. He has no fear of death, but he does have one fear, one spectral doubt that sometimes after sunset creeps its way into his soul. That fear is that after death he will always find himself a life behind his friend, and they won't be reunited even then. For though my nature rarely yields to that vague fear implied in death, nor shudders at the gulfs beneath, the howlings from forgotten fields, yet oft, when sundown skirts the moor, an inner trouble I behold, a spectral doubt which makes me cold, that I shall be thy mate no more, though following with an upward mind the wonders that have come to thee, through all the secular to be, but evermore a life behind. There are so many variations on the theme of his love contained within this one canto. The cheery sweetness of their time together, spent singing along life's path from season to joyful season— the abrupt tragedy of fatal loss when he fell prey to that shadow feared of man, the worshipful adoration he felt for his friend, whose spirit is likened to altar fires climbing to heaven, and then the one fear that chills him, that even after death he will see his friend no more. 
Here's the whole of that canto together. The path by which we twain did go, which led by tracts that pleased us well, through four sweet years arose and fell, from flower to flower, from snow to snow. And we with singing cheered the way, and crowned with all the season lent, from April unto April went, and glad at heart from May to May. But where the path we walked began to slant the fifth autumnal slope, as we descended, following hope, there sat the shadow feared of man. Thy spirit, ere our fatal loss, did ever rise from high to higher, as mounts the heavenward altar fire, as flies the lighter through the gross. But thou art turned to something strange, and I have lost the links that bound thy changes here upon the ground, no more partaker of thy change. Deep folly, yet that this could be, that I could wing my will with might to leap the grades of life and light and flash at once, my friend, to thee. For though my nature rarely yields to that vague fear implied in death, nor shudders at the gulfs beneath the howlings from forgotten fields, yet oft, when sundown skirts the moor, an inner trouble I behold, a spectral doubt which makes me cold that I shall be thy mate no more, though following with an upward mind the wonders that have come to thee through all the secular to be, but evermore a life behind. In Canto 42, he tells himself that in fearing they will never be reunited, he is only borrowing needless trouble. Hallam had always outstripped him, even in life. It was only unity of place that made him feel in any way his equal. So, though after death his friend will have exceeded him again, will be a lord of large experience, riper in mind and in will, they will be united by place once again, and Tennyson will enjoy the soul-stirring delight of learning from someone he loves. God, I love these stanzas. Here they are. I vex my heart with fancies dim. He still outstripped me in the race. It was but unity of place that made me dream I ranked with him. And so may place retain us still. And he, the much beloved again, a lord of large experience, trained to riper growth the mind and will. And what delights can equal those that stir the spirit's inner deeps when one that loves but knows not reaps a truth from one that loves and knows. We have again that unabashed hero worship so beautifully expressed. I think this collection of cantos alone proves Tennyson to be one of human history's great geniuses. And yet, he never dreamed he ranked with Hallam, and he longs to be again at his side so he can reap truths from him, and under his influence, grow in mind and will. We should all have such a friend. In Canto 43, Tennyson imagines death to be a sort of sleep, an intermediate state between life and the soul's reawakening. He likens the slumbering spirit to a flower that folds up its petals by night. If that were true, 
this nighttime garden of souls would hold within it the total world since life began. And that would mean the love between him and his friend would continue to exist, whole and pure, to be revived again with his soul's resurrection. Here's Canto 43. If sleep and death be truly one, and every spirit's folded bloom through all its intervital gloom in some long trance should slumber on, unconscious of the sliding hour, bare of the body, might it last, and silent traces of the past be all the color of the flower. So then were nothing lost to man, so that still garden of the souls in many a figured leaf enrolls the total world since life began. And love will last, as pure and whole as when he loved me here in time, and at the spiritual prime reawaken with the dawning soul. In Canto 44, Tennyson reflects that while men gather memories of life on earth, they are given only a few mystic hints and flashes of a prior existence. He wonders whether those in the afterlife experience a similar forgetfulness of earthly life, whether in death we taste the Lethean springs. In Greek mythology, if the newly dead drank from the river Lethe, they would lose all memory of their past existence. He hopes that even so, similar flashes of earthly memory might reach his friend and take him by surprise as he ranges with new peers in the afterlife. And he pleads with him that if he is touched by some such hint of memory, he turn to face it squarely, and Tennyson's guardian angel in heaven will speak out and tell him all. Here's Canto 44. How fares it with the happy dead? For here the man is more and more, but he forgets the days before God shut the doorways of his head. The days have vanished, tone and tint, and yet perhaps the hoarding sense gives out at times, he knows not whence, a little flash, a mystic hint. And in the long harmonious years, if death so taste the Lethean springs, may some dim touch of earthly things surprise thee, ranging with thy peers. If such a dreamy touch should fall, oh, turn thee round, resolve the doubt, my guardian angel will speak out in that high place and tell thee all. How many variations have we seen on this theme? of ways to keep a connection with his friend, though their souls inhabit separate spheres. In this canto alone, he imagines their souls sharing a common space in the afterlife, despite how far beyond him his friend has inevitably flown. He envisions their friendship as a sleeping flower, still holding all the color of their love within its folded petals. He imagines his friend feeling some flash of distant memory, then turning to find Tennyson's guardian angel, there to tell him more. It is a powerful yearning for communion that finds form in every expression it can. It is no wonder George Eliot called this poem the sanctification of human love as a religion. Canto 45 is a fascinating thought experiment that I found powerfully poignant when I understood what I believed to be the motivation behind it. 
Tennyson reminds us that the baby has no consciousness of an identity separate from his mother. It is only as he grows and gathers up knowledge that he learns he is a being distinct from the world around him. The establishment of this separate mind is what allows him to form memories. Tennyson wonders whether this is the whole point of our mortal lives, of that time of blood and breath, so that we may recall our separateness in life after death. And what do I imagine motivated the thought? He longs to believe that his friend in death is still the friend he knew in life, and that he will still possess all the memories of their time together. Here is Canto 45. The baby, new to earth and sky, what time his tender palm is pressed against the circle of the breast, has never thought that this is I. But as he grows, he gathers much, and learns the use of I and me, and finds I am not what I see, and other than the things I touch. So rounds he to a separate mind, from whence clear memory may begin, and through the frame that binds him in, his isolation grows defined. This use may lie in blood and breath, which else were fruitless of their due, had man to learn himself anew beyond the second birth of death. I'm coming to the conclusion that committing myself to a deep reading of this poem from start to finish is one of the most important literary projects I will ever undertake.